We will read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 28. So I'll give you time to look in your Bibles and find Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 28. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Alice. Uh, thrilled to begin or go back into our Behold series, uh, which I've really enjoyed. It's a little bit of a different kind of Christmas series for us. We've done Isaiah, we've done uh, the traditional Christmas passage. This one's a little different this week. We call it Behold, a Christmas series. To behold something is to really look at it. To really look at it, to take it in your hand and, and, and consider it and ponder it. Especially something magnificent and, and wonderful. It works with things like Behold the Grand Canyon. Works with things like, behold the Oregon coastline and, and that sunset, or behold her magnificent beauty. But it doesn't work with the mundane, does it? If I said, behold the dandruff on my shoulder, or something like that, it wouldn't work, would it? <laughs> or, hey, behold the coleslaw I made for dinner. Doesn't work, does it? <laughs> that word just doesn't work with that. We behold things that are marvelous and great and need to be considered with more than just a quick glance. We behold it. John the Baptist used this word on the day he was out ministering to the people by the Jordan River. As Jesus was walking towards him amongst the crowd, he said this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're right in the middle or the third or four weeks of this Behold series. It's a three-week Advent series where we're beholding the coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming as a baby. Last week we talked about in Isaiah. Uh, and then this morning, his daily coming or residing in our hearts. And then next Sunday we'll talk about his second Advent with his glorious second coming. And we're beholding all three of those aspects of Christ's coming because come, his coming was never just about his birth. His life was expectant, full of purpose and meaning from start to finish, all the way. And so the Bible, 
The Bible as well tells a story, not just of a sweet baby's birth, but the birth of the Lamb of God, as John said, who would deliver his people from their sins. A story so big, it has to be written over the course of all of history. And so magnificent. Yes, the, the, the birth was the culmination of all the promises of the Messiah to come and, and, and the rescue that God gave Abraham and, and subsequent generations, but the birth marked as well really just the beginning, the start of that mission of Jesus. Last week we said it was the coming light that had to come to us, reside with us. That light didn't come from us. You can't find that light inside of you. He came to us. We can't find it on earth. He had to come to us. And he's the true and realistic solution. We talked about last week as he came with an earth-shaking, earth-shattering, earth-transforming event with Isaiah's little words, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And he He is really something or someone, we should say, to behold. This morning we transition from the birth to look at, uh, we're going to look at four aspects of beholding him daily now. His coming as a baby, daily, and the next week his second coming. But four aspects of that today, which we look at the hope of Christ in you. We're going to look at a passage that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that Alice just read to us at Colossae uh, about his calling to be a minister and his stewardship over that ministry, but also about the daily just ramifications of what living with the daily advent of Christ in our hearts means and what that requires. So hopefully, you get your Bible open to Colossians. Hopefully, you've got an outline there for those of you that like to take notes and to, so you can jog your memory later or just keep track of stuff. Let's look at the first aspect of beholding him daily in our hearts. Let's look at beholding Christ in our suffering. That a good 2020 title of the year. <laughs> the Apostle Paul is really showing us here his character, who he is at the deepest core as a follower of Christ. And he does this, it's not a, a shameless act of self-promotion here, but to show you and I what discipleship looks like. To show you and I what it looks like to follow Jesus. To show us what ministry is about. As all of us, if we carry the gospel, you are a minister of the gospel. To show us that the only answer for our world was found, is, is found in the Christmas story. Coming to fruition, not just in the manger, but in the supremacy of Christ in his atoning death, his payment for us. The Apostle Paul, if anybody did, he knew suffering. If anybody could relate to you or resonate with maybe the suffering in your own life, the Apostle Paul knew it. In fact, he wrote this letter to the Colossians that we're reading from today uh, from, uh, from prison. He'd been in prison multiple times. He'd been beaten for the gospel, stoned for the gospel, whipped for the gospel, shipwrecked, rejected, mocked for the gospel, and yet he pressed forward in life could have been so easy for him just to say, yeah, I've done enough. I've done enough. But he doesn't quit. He doesn't give up. In fact, he says, look at verse 24. We'll read it again. He says, now I rejoice actually in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Is he some kind of pain junkie? (laughs) masochist, he's explicitly 
rejoicing in his sufferings. This is absolutely, entirely confusing to the modern American mind and to many Christians too. We've been raised, each and every one of us, on the mantra that life is about personal happiness and personal fulfillment and personal expression and personal gain and personal comfort and personal choice. To read Paul here is to understand that a large element of the Christian life identifying with Christ, beholding who Jesus really is, is to behold him in his suffering and in your suffering. This was his road. This is his lot, Jesus is. This is the way of the cross. It's Jesus' way. Not one of power or glory or might or strength. No. And here Paul helps us understand the suffering itself, it wasn't an end in and of itself. There's There's no inherent value just in your general suffering. There isn't. It's a fallen world. It's not supposed to be this way. But it produced good. And that's why he rejoiced. He says in verse 24, I rejoiced in my suffering because I like pain. No, I rejoiced in my suffering for your sake, he says there. The church, it says there. It's for you. It's for your sake. It's for our body, the church, that I suffer. It edified the church. It fed them, filled them. You think about it, the gospel has always spread through roadblocks, through paddles, through suffering. We exist today. You're in this seat today. You're watching online today. You're in the gathering place or in our youth room today because of the suffering of saints that have come before us. It's so good to remember that. That's why we're a church that will talk about the past and history and read old creeds and, and, and sometimes talk about church history because it matters. You're only here because of that. The suffering of saints of the, the past, who many of them passed the baton, many of them collapsing on the finish line of their race, barely able to hand it off to somebody else before they stumbled into the grave. Many of them put in the grave because of their faith in Christ. Christians in centuries past knew that, and maybe even a little more than us, that suffering was part of following the way of Christ. And yet some of them were the most sympathetic. They weren't bitter. Some were, of course. But some of them were the most sympathetic people to the suffering in the world, and and some of the hardiest people at the same time when suffering would, would, would arise. Well, let's talk a little bit about why, and a little bit more about suffering before we go to our second aspect. As Paul Tripp, as an author I love, says, he says, suffering is not just a neutral experience. What do I mean by that? What what he means is that when we suffer, we not only actually suffer the actual thing we're suffering, whether it be physical illness, loss of job, loss of a loved one, but you also suffer in the how you handle the suffering too. Have you noticed that about your life? In other words, we bring expectations to our suffering. We bring assumptions to our suffering. We bring our own desires and our intentions and our goals to the suffering, all of which are threatened many times or even lost through the very thing we're suffering. So we not only suffer the thing we're suffering, whether it's physical illness, let's say, 
but we're also suffering the stark, shocking reality that that brings with a new, unique opportunity to know, I'm not going to live forever. In fact, I probably won't get any stronger than I am today. You see, we suffer not only the thing, but how we live and handle the suffering. And many times, suffering reveals these expectations, these ideas, these hopes, these dreams to be idols sometimes in and of themselves. And so we compound our real suffering with more suffering as the security, strength, self-sufficiency, health, productivity, whatever it might be, gets threatened too. You know, it's an example we've been talking about a lot because we have to wear them a lot. (laughs) And there's so much talk in our culture about them, a lot of talk. These masks that we hate. There's a lot of reasons we hate these masks. Number one, the itch, right? <laughs> I, it's even worse now that I'm growing a beard again. It's hor- horrible. But they, 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 they are, they all, it's also hard to breathe. You feel like you're slowly suffocating. They're obnoxious, annoying. They fall off. Our kids like to pull them, don't they? Yes. But I think deep down inside, one of the primary reasons, this isn't everybody, but I think deep down inside, one of the primary reasons we're suffering with these things is because they reveal our weakness. To put a mask on and to wear it on your face signifies weakness. You're putting it smack dab on your face. It says, I'm not made of steel. I'm not immune to everything. My lungs are valuable and they can be compromised. To put on a mask, whether we've ever thought about this or not, I think one of the first reasons when I put one on, it felt so icky, didn't it? It was like, I can't do this. There's all kinds of reasons. I'm just hitting on one today. But to put on a mask reveals what's been true all along. I'm completely dependent on someone else for everything. God. Including my life, including my breath. It's just one small example. But it's so prevalent because it's become such a a cultural hot point and topic. It's just one small example of that. How the suffering sometimes might reveal something we bring to it. But you could do this same exercise with any form of suffering in your life. What's the actual suffering? And how am I adding to the natural suffering of living in a fallen world with my expectations or assumptions or desires or intentions? But how is Paul's suffering then how is your suffering then? How, how, how can we rejoice in it? That's, that's so foreign to us, isn't it? It's not, so, it's not just rejoicing in pain for the sake of pain. It's not that. But we can rejoice because it does a couple things. Here's a couple. First, it does this. It builds our character and trust in Jesus when it brings us to the end of ourselves, the end of our self-sufficiency, and it, it shatters all those idols we do bring to our suffering that compound the suffering. As Luther said when he was praying, he, he, he was praying, thy will be done, part of the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done. He summarized it so well when he said, thy will be done really means this. We're praying this. Grant us to bear willingly all sorts of sickness, poverty, disgrace, suffering, and adversity, and to recognize that in, thi- that in this, your divine will is crucifying our will. Those are heavy words to pray. Those are hard words to pray. But really, that's a, a, a great summary of what we're saying when we say, Thy will be done, God. 
It means that even in the suffering as God allows to pass through his fingers, pass through his shield into your life, that one of the benefits we can rejoice in is that in that we can know that our will is being molded. Our will is being shaped. It's being limited. It's being done away with. We're being shown to not be as willful and as powerful as we'd like to believe. And that is a reason to rejoice because that's actual reality. And most people live with a myth and under the guise and under the delusion that they're the author of their own life and they are the captain of their own ship. But we get to have the curtain pulled back. You get to see reality and know that you need someone in your suffering before it's too late. That's why it's a blessing. And that's a reason to rejoice because the, uh, the change of our will into Christ's will is the goal, really, of our faith. That's our aim. That's our end, to be just like our suffering brother Jesus. And if you think, you might pause and be well, you know what? That's kind of unkind of God. That's sort of cruel of God to use suffering. You know, I don't really know if my problem is serious, that I actually have to have some really tragic thing happen in my life. I'd say two things. First of all, then, you probably then don't know yourself really deeply if that's your response to that. Or, or the depths of your sin, you probably don't know yourself very deeply. Or if you do, you're not being honest with yourself. Or you're also not seeing the fact that God's not asking you to do anything in your suffering that he hasn't already done before you in a body. That's what Christmas is about. He's not asking you to suffer in any, in any way that he hasn't already gone before you and done. When suffering brings us to the end of ourselves, we realize all we have and all we need, as you sing in the song, is Christ. All we need. That's the first one. Secondly, here's another way we can rejoice in it. It unites us to Christ in a mysterious way. You know, no one actually knows what Paul is saying in one part of this passage. Do you know that? No one actually really knows what Paul is saying when he says his suffering fills up what's lacking in Christ's affliction. Everybody's just guessing at it. It can't be, we know though, it can't be that Christ's atonement, his payment was somehow lacking and Paul had to add to it to make sure salvation really worked. It can't be that. The whole New Testament teaches contrary to that. But it breeds an intimacy with Christ. So much so that when Paul himself, before he became uh, Paul, before he became a Christian, he was Saul. Remember what he did? He was persecuting Christians, wasn't he? He was making them suffer. They were being put under his thumb. And some were going to die, and some did. And he was persecuting real Christians. But you know what the words Jesus said to Paul when he blinded him on that road that one day? He said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? What you go through, in other words... In some mysterious way, it's Christ experiencing it too. He didn't say, Paul, why are you hurting those Christians so bad? He said, Paul, why are you persecuting me in them? Do you believe you're that intimately tied to Jesus? Are you beholding Christ and, and rejoicing in your sufferings as Paul did? Because it's actually good for the church and helps us behold him more deeply, trust on him more deeply, and rely on him more deeply, and become like him at deeper levels. 
Paul knew it, and he said, I can rejoice in my sufferings because of that. That's our first aspect. Let's look at our second. The second aspect and way we behold Christ, our first was our sufferings. The second one is in the Scriptures, Paul says. We know this, but it's good to hear it again and again. Paul says in verse 25, his task as a minister was to be a good steward over this one thing, over the Word of God, and to make it fully known. Uh, It actually says there, the literal of those words is, he's to complete the Word, is what it literally says. Do you want to behold Christ in your life? Do you want to know him more deeply? Do you want to experience the joys and benefits of beholding him more deeply and more fully? There's no shortcut to this. We love to use microwaves, don't we? They're really, they're really convenient, aren't they? I mean, you might be somebody like, you know, I don't like microwave food, but man, if you're really starving and you want a burrito and you put it, bring it out of the freezer or whatever, pop it in, it's quick. We've just gotten so used to that. Your cup of coffee's cold, it's, it's hot. We like to microwave things and ha- have them happen fast. But you can't microwave your spirituality, can you? <laughs> you can't microwave your spiritual growth with a 30-second zap. It just doesn't work that way. There's no shortcut. There is no way to know Christ better without the Scriptures. Paul says it. I have been given a task to complete the Word, make it fully known. It's just not possible to grow with Christ without the Scriptures. And here specifically in this context, Paul is saying not just the Scriptures, but he's saying the preached Scriptures in the context of a local church. He's writing to a church. He's writing about preaching. His job is to preach it and make it known. There is no way Paul is saying. Here's what this means. The idea of knowing Christ in your life, the idea that you could grow as a Christian apart from a Bible-teaching church and apart from God's Word is impossible. It's impossible. And so the deeper you're involved not only with the Scriptures in your life, but the Scriptures in the context of a local body of people, the deeper you're involved on that level, the more you will grow. It's just that's reality. Show me a Christian who values the Scriptures in the context of the relationships of his church, her life group, her Bible study, and I will show you a Christian who's growing. It's that guaranteed. It's the only way. Beholding and beholding Christ in her daily life. That's a person. Show me that type of person. I'll show you someone who's growing. Frequency amongst people, frequency in this and here, it breeds depth. You walk away from that in frequency in the Word and frequency of the Word amongst God's people, we shrivel up. We get flabby. We fall away. Which one are you? If you want to behold Christ this Advent season... This is the way, Paul says. He had a task, a stewardship to make the word known. I will tell you, I am, I'm not the only pastor, but all kinds of pastors are concerned how this uh, pandemic will impact the church on the other side of this pandemic. Because it will end. It's not going to last forever. This isn't going to last forever. It's gone on way longer, hasn't it, than any of us thought. Way longer. But it's not going to last forever. And I'm concerned, as many pastors are, how it's going to impact the church on the other side. That some will lose a vital connection to the body and what happens in the body. Which I think it's doing for many people, actually. 
And to do that, if that is you, or if you're watching online and that's you, you're walking on thin ice spiritually. I'll say this again. I've said this before. If you're watching at home today, and it's not for the reason of compromised health or because there, you do have a, a genuine fear of the pandemic, which is valid, absolutely. Those are totally valid reasons. Of course, if you're sick for something else or out of town. But if, if, if you're at home still nine months into this and haven't come back and those aren't your reasons, you should be concerned about your spiritual state. Paul says his job is to be a, good, a steward of the word and unpack it and preach it and have it be here with real flesh, real blood, real people. You need us, we need you. I would be concerned. Word and community is what Paul is saying, is the second key to beholding Christ daily in your life. Word and community. If you want to remember it that way, really simple. Well, that third aspect is the content of that preaching that Paul's talking about. It's this, beholding Christ in you, the hope of the gospel for today. That was the phrase that drew me to this passage for this second week of this series. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The great mystery of the New Testament era was the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies. That Christ would come to live inside his people in a unique way and by his spirit. And and that in so doing, he would bring salvation not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. That was the mystery. They couldn't believe it. They they, They knew their mission was to spread God's love to the world, but they thought it was through making everybody in the world become a Jew. It wasn't. It was spreading Christ. That was so hard for the Jewish imagination to grasp, and maybe still is, that their pedigree of nationality or their, their blood, their family line for the family of Abraham, or their skin color or their traditions or keeping the law, it was so hard for them to grasp that that actually didn't bring them closer to God and that it all meant nothing without Christ. And the deep wellspring of hope that he would bring and that we sang about This is how intimately we behold him. In verse 23, look up to 23. We didn't read it today, but Paul says it. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Don't shift from the hope of the gospel, Paul says. Don't move on from it. And he explains that hope a little more detailed in verse 26 and 27. I'll read those again. He says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles the riches of his, the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The key is Christ in you and us in Christ. Paul makes that very clear to the Jews here that God has elected the Gentiles to salvation too. And he's chosen to reveal to them the mysteries many of God's own people rejected, which is the glory of God. It's Christ in you. It's his real presence within you and therefore amongst us. Not just in a manger 2,000 years ago, but now He's still here. 
That is what we share. That, that's, that's what bonds us, Paul is saying here. Don't move on from it. Don't move on from it, he says. It, it can make bonds, what he's saying here, it can make bonds break down, or, or, or actually bonds grow and barriers break down between groups such as Jew and Gentile even. Ephesians says that Christ breaks down all nationalities and boundaries that are broken down in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. All are one in Christ. So who's the other group for us or for you? Because we all have one. Who's the outsider from our group? The ones we don't want to associate with for fear of contaminating our purity. That's, what, that's the issue the Jews had. And, and why is it only possible in Christ to break down these walls of division, do you think? Why is that so? Paul says, don't move on from Christ. Don't move on from the gospel. Because to behold Christ in your heart is to behold that Christmas is for you, that you need Christmas too, that you need rescuing so bad that there was never going to be any ladder you could climb up to reach God. This is what makes Christianity unique among all the world religions. Listen to this for a minute, whether you're watching online and you're not even sure how you feel about Christianity. Every world religion, I'll say it again, every world religion has a leader who says, let me show you the ladder to climb. Let me show you the ladder to climb. Only Christianity says he had to come down to us. That's what Advent is. From Isaiah 9 last week, the light has come to us. And when Christmas becomes your Christmas and you see you're a sinner saved by grace through faith, you know that many of the things you place your value and worth in don't mean anything in terms of acceptance with God. Jew, Gentile, man, woman, slave or free, Paul says in Galatians. You'll let your righteousness go, your self-righteousness go. Because your righteousness is found in Christ in you. That's our hope. But this is a process. We go through it together. It doesn't happen overnight. We behold Christ together. So let's look at that fourth and final aspect today of the daily advent of Christ. Here it is. Beholding Christ together in the tough work of mission. Do you remember that old game, Don't Break the Ice? You remember that one? The picture of it coming up, that old game. This is a more current version of it. It's a simple game of, of anticipation and, and destruction and devastation as you smash the ice. and you, you set that little penguin on the ice there. In our house, he's named Philip. Don't ask me why. He just is. That's Philip there. So <laughs> Philip does really well when all the pieces are packed in nice and tight, when all the squares are snug and, and the ice squares are snug and fit together, the ground is stable. He's not shaking. He's not falling. He's not in danger. Every square is strong and there. Well, what do you do in the game? One by one, you begin to chip away at the foundation under Philip's feet, don't you? One by one. And when you do that, entire rows begin to sink and slide down and lose their, their grip on the firm frame. And finally, the loser of the game makes him fall with the final chipping away, whatever that block would be. This simple little children's game, I think it's a great metaphor for the church. 
What's Paul saying in 27 and 28? Look at him. Or 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, but he powerfully works within me. Paul isn't just concerned with one or two in the church. He's concerned with everyone, every piece, every person. And so he says, he warns everyone, he teaches everyone, he wants everyone to grow, to be mature, strongly presented to Christ. Yes, of course he knows we grow as individuals, but individuals who are fit together in the church, the body, in the frame of Jesus Christ. And when one of us grows, we all strengthen together. And when one of us is weak or divisive or unrepentant of sin, it, it, it loosens the blocks of ice. First Corinthians says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Why? Because to become a follower of Christ is to become part of his body. Like a finger to a hand, like an elbow to an arm, like a knee, a foot to a leg. We're all in this together. We rise or fall together, Paul is saying here. That's how we grow. Every person warns every person, teaches every person, presents every person to Christ mature. Have you heard that military motto before? Uh, no man left behind. I heard that phrase. No man left behind. It means no, no wounded soldier gets left on the field if it can be helped. No wounded soldier gets left behind. That's really the mission of the church. This, this, this uh, don't break the ice. That means we all have a part to play in discipleship and mission and the life of this church, not only for your own spiritual growth, but you've got a responsibility, actually. Do you know that? For the growth of others as well in the church. It's not just me as the pastor. We're all one body for the responsibility to serve, to share your faith, to love your neighbor, to see them behold Jesus daily in their hearts. But we can't do this without the hard work Paul describes in the last verse 29 there. But the great news is, he says it right there, the hard work has supernatural strength. His energy that he powerfully works within me. It's beholding Christ daily. It's the outworking and implications of the gospel daily in our hearts. That's what Paul's getting at here. And today, us here, all of us, while are watching online as the body, the blocks, as the group in Christ, we get to walk with one of his, our own on his journey to maturity and growth, and faith. We get a visual picture today of beholding Christ daily in baptism. Bill Rodberg's going to come up in just a minute. Uh, he was ready to go at our last baptism service, but some family couldn't quite be present, so we said, you know what, we're ready whenever. You're ready, we'll be ready in a few weeks even. And so today, we get to do this thing together. That's why I love baptism so much. Yes, it'll be about Bill and his faith and his testimony, but it's also about all of us doing this together and watching him and rehearsing the same gospel story together again as Paul says, don't move on from it in our text today. But just a little further down, 
in this same book. Look at verse 6, 7, and 11 through 14 of chapter 2. Look down at chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. There's that daily advent. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Down to verse 11. In Him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been purified with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Baptism is an outward symbol of the internal beholding of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And so Bill's going to come forward now. Come on up here, Bill. And we're going to begin this walking through this together for Bill and for Andrea, his wife here today, and those I know he is watching online. Do we have a handheld? There it is. There you go, Bill. This is, is, is so glad to be here with Bill today as I've been able to talk with him and meet with him over the last months and talk about his own baptism and um, just the process he's been going on, that Christ has been working in him and through him and, and in a daily way. I think you'll hear about in his testimony in a moment. So it's a privilege to be able to do this. And um, I'm sorry you had to be the lone one here today. You don't have your, any companions baptizing as well. But um, you know what? Whether there's one or four or five or 20 on a day, it's just as important. And so we want to, why don't you begin just by introducing yourself to everybody, Bill, your name and uh, maybe how long you've been coming to Bethany and what prompted, it's on, what prompted you to come. Okay, my name is Bill Rodberg. And uh, Andrea and I have been, attending here just, just shy of two years, and we were looking for a Bible-based church active in the community, and I think we found it, definitely. Mm, cool. That's great. And I think, so you have Andrew here today, and I think you have some people watching on, online today. Who's watching online? Uh, I've got two sisters that are watching online, Patty and Terry, and I also have what I call my brother from another mother <laughs> in, in Norway, ah. who is watching Good morning, or good evening, I guess, there, Arnie. So yeah, hi, Norway. That's probably the farthest we've ever streamed, so I hope it's working well and you're able to see uh, your brother from another mother, Bill, here. Um, well, let's talk then a little bit about your own story and kind of your own um, faith. Tell us, how did you come to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, Bill? Well, I was just kind of wandering through life, I felt, uh, maybe living without a real direction. Uh, and during a tough time, a friend asked me if I uh, believed in God. And I answered, yes. Just look around you and see how everything fits and has a purpose and priorities. And it was just, it kind of all came to me there, like someone flipped on a switch in me and, and uh, definitely warmed and softened my heart. Mm. And uh, Andrea came along, and that was a, a big, big part of this. Uh, and since then, I've, I've trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Mm. It sounds like you had one of those experiences, and they're not all, all, our experiences are different in how we come to trust Christ. Some people say it feels like a switch, like you almost described it. Right. 
uh, being turned on or, or some a couple, our last service that it was like, you know, God grabbed me, somebody said. And so, you know, I think uh, it's uh, a neat experience that you had. And to hear you describe it that way of, of coming to trust Christ was like this, this flip being switched on. Right. It's pretty incredible. Well, I wanted to talk about to, um, how has God been at, your, in life, uh, at work in your life since that switch flipped or in your, in your life lately? How's he been at work? Well, uh, one really important thing to me has been uh, being in the life group okay. and uh, really helped you to understand some of the sermons or to, to, to uh, uh, gain on them, I guess, uh, and that we all have problems and like that and issues and we can talk about them uh, to understand that God is in control and we all struggle with that sometimes. And it has given me the opportunity uh, to serve through the service projects and some mm-hmm. things like that. I know uh, we're really big in the uh, Canby Center, and uh, I helped with the uh, Christmas Child, Operation Christmas Child this year, and cool. that was, that was a, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just really, really uh, eye-opening, I guess, to see uh, what went into those boxes and, and how hopefully the kids are really really uh, excited and enjoying them here in a few weeks. Yeah. Well, you know, you, are, you Bill, I, I don't uh, say this lightly, but you're a, you're a living sermon illustration today. <laughs> that, that yeah. you know, like you said, the life group, and you're, 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 you're part of this local church body, and that's the very thing we talked about today in that passage, and that's, that what Christmas is about. That's right. Is that living in this body, not just checking in and getting the, hearing a sermon, but actually being known and knowing others, that is how God grows us. And, and for you to share that is a, a very, uh, an affirmation of that and encouragement, hopefully, to all of us who are here and, and those watching online that are a, a big part of our church. Uh, it's great to see that and to hear Andrea's role in your life, too, and, and your life group. I know you're in the Rance life group, which Jack's going to come up in a minute uh, as, uh, as your life group leader and, and pray for you and help, help us uh, facilitate your baptism. It's neat to, be, have, to see that. Why don't you tell us, uh, we talked a bit as well about uh, a favorite verse you have or one that's been touching you lately and maybe why? Yeah, it's uh, Romans 8, verse 28, just a short one. But, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And I think kind of after a, after a tough year, uh, knowing that... Uh, all things work together for good is, is very reassuring to me. Hmm. So. Yeah, because it doesn't always look like that on the surface face, does it? It doesn't always look like, you know, as we look at the world, and yet we have those promises of the Lord. Yeah, and, and we spent some time talking about that in life group too, definitely. And it was, yeah. it was everybody, everybody has their issues. So Yeah. Well, Bill, as, as, as Jack is coming up and getting ready here, can you say today with full confidence that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Yes, absolutely. That's great. Let's do this. We've got some new rails over there to help you out. That Sorry, everybody else that didn't get to use those. But uh, thanks to, uh, to Mike for making those. Uh, come on over. We'll help you get up there and, and get you going here. Pretty warm, huh? Not bad. And it's clean, too. You're the only one getting baptized today. <laughs> Jack, would you um, just bless this time and bless Bill by um, just praying for him and, and this, this moment of his baptism? Would you bow with us? Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much that uh, Bill wants to be far more than an admirer of yours. 
he wants to be a follower of yours. And so, God, we are all rejoicing today. What a very special moment it is for he and Andrea. So great that Andrea can be here physically present with him today and also as he's identified the fact that uh, some folks watching from Sparks, Nevada, some as far away as Norway. And so it's a great day also uh, and a time of celebration for members of our life group for whom Bill and Andrea have made such a huge contribution. Uh, our, our lives have become entwined with one another. But Lord, we realize this is a greatest moment for you because as Bill has entered these waters this morning, we acknowledge that the spotlight is really not upon him, but these very waters spotlight the greatness of who you are and the truth and the reality of your gospel. And so let all who have any form of witness to seeing this occur today know for sure that it is you that we are celebrating, your gift of salvation, the fact that you as the just and loving creator of this universe you have regarded us and responded to those of us, which is really all of us, who are miserable sinners. We are lost in sin apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you have responded to us in our lostness by sending the Lord Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, so that he would suffer your wrath against sin on the cross and that he would show your power over sin in the resurrection so that everyone, just like Bill, who turns from his sin and trusts in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be forgiven of that sin, will be spared from your judgment against it, and will be reconciled to you forever. So because of Bill's faithfulness to follow you in this step of obedience, of baptism, we are able to celebrate together the great gospel news that you are the loving, just, gracious, sovereign creator of this universe. You have made a way in Christ for everyone everywhere to be reconciled to you. And for that, we honor you, we exalt you, we adore you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Bill. It is our privilege now to be able to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 